Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. We are choosing listener reviews to share on the Single Tracks podcast. And if we pick yours, we'll send you a hat in the mail. Just shoot us an email if you recognize your review. This review is from the Gettysburg Dog Walker, who writes, Great discussions on mountain biking, easy to listen to, great production value, and knowledgeable guests. I would like them to highlight riding scenes and locations more. All in all, a great listen on your way to the trail. We love getting listener feedback like this so we can improve the show, and your reviews help us reach even more listeners. Take a minute to review the show and listen in to find out if we choose to read your review next. The next time you're shopping for mountain bike gear, check out singletracks.com deals. Each week, we share our favorite product picks and exclusive coupon codes from our partners. You can also use the page to search for whatever you're buying, from complete mountain bikes to brake sets and tire sealant. That's singletracks.com deals. And to get our weekly picks delivered to your inbox, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. Links to the newsletter and deals page are in the show notes. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today my guest is Cam McCall. So Cam is a legendary slope-style mountain biker who has helped grow and shape the sport for more than 20 years. He's won numerous free ride competitions, including Crankworks Colorado and the Bear Claw Invitational. He's been featured in some of the biggest mountain bike films and is a regular announcer at Red Bull Mountain Bike Competitions. Thanks for joining us, Cam. What up, Jeff? Thanks. That was quite the intro. I appreciate that. Well, yeah, you've had quite the career. So you have a background in BMX and moto. What was it, though, that attracted you to mountain biking? Kind of. Yeah, I wouldn't say I really have a background in BMX or moto. I did both of them as a child in the same capacity that I did baseball or basketball <laughs> or yeah. rollerblading, for that matter. But when I found mountain biking, that's when I kind of just went, whoa, man, I'm going to spend all my time doing this. And at that point, I was probably, gosh, 12 or 13. Okay. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere in that. Yeah, probably 13. That's hard for me to imagine, though. As a kid, you know, if you if you have a motorcycle, to then want to do mountain biking, like what was it that was different about it or that was maybe more interesting or, or yeah, what was it? Because mountain bikes are better, man. Anybody listening to your podcast, they know that, right? They're listening for a reason. They like them. For me, it was the freedom because... Uh, yeah, let's see. Let's follow the timeline. Like I just said, how old was I? 12 or 13, somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah. And when you're that old and you live in Santa Cruz, California, you're not just throwing a leg over your motorcycle and riding it out your garage. Right. I had like a 1987 CR80. And so that was my introduction to motorcycles. And the thing never worked. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I had to wait until uh, my dad was down and free. He was a firefighter. He had another job too, so he was always working. But whenever he could take us to the riding area, and uh, that wasn't super often, so to sink my teeth into something and really want to do it with the level of ADHD that I have, I, I needed something that I can do on my own time whenever I wanted. Yeah. So waiting around for a ride to the riding area, and, and then once we get there, the motorcycle doesn't work. <laughs> that Those things made motorcycles less appealing. Mm-hmm. And when I saw a mountain bike, I was like, oh man, this has suspension just like that motorcycle. But I can freely throw a leg over it and rip out the garage and just get lost in the woods. And that freedom is what caused me to fall in love with it. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And it's, I guess it's easier to work on too, right? You can, you know, if you got a problem with your mountain bike, even as a kid, you can probably figure it out. Four stroke, two stroke, no thank you. I'll take a no stroke. <laughs> right on. So as one of the early free ride mountain bikers, what was your inspiration? Did you have people that you could like look up to back then? Or were you kind of, did you feel like you're kind of blazing a new trail? It for sure started with looking up to the, the older kids in Aptos. That's the town name that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. They were the ones that I first saw riding these bikes that looked like motorcycles but had pedals. I guess it's not a no-stroke. It's a pedal stroke, right? Not right. a four-stroke, not a two-stroke, <laughs> but a pedal stroke. Yeah. And uh, I could see that they were living some kind of really cool free lifestyle. They'd ride by my parents' house. I'd be sitting on the porch. I'd see them. My school bus would drive by the bike shop they always hung out in. Mm. And they were really good on these things. They were going to these jumps that were in the middle of town, and I would see them catching air. And... Um, so those were my original heroes, watching them. That's what, that's what caused me to like, you know, drop everything and go, this is what I want to dedicate my life to at mm-hmm. 12 or 13 years old. And then once I got into it, you know, I knew the kind of riding that I wanted to do. I, wanted, I had been to X Games as a spectator in 99 and 2000 to watch freestyle motocross. So the whole idea of hanging onto your seat and flying off the back of your bike, it, it, I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. But it's not happening on a motorcycle. And so when I saw what these kids were doing, they were catching air. They, were, they, were, they had the freedom. They had the palette, the platform to express themselves in the air. Mm-hmm. So I fell in love with that right away. And before that, my preconceived notion, my perception of what mountain biking was, you know, endurance, spandex. And as a 12, 13-year-old who just came back from watching X Games, that's not that appealing to me, you know? Yeah. And so I was always like, mountain bikes, whatever. But then when I saw the way they were doing it, Okay, buddy, now we're talking. <laughs> and then once I got into it, you know, all right, what's this dual slalom racing? Let's go to Sea Otter Classic 40 minutes away and do that. Downhill racing, that's cool. Let's get some videos at the bike shop. Oh, wow, Sprung 5, this is cool. Down, this is a little funky, but still kind of cool. Chain reaction, what? And so now I start getting exposed to these people who are all over the world doing this thing that I liked. But there wasn't really contest for it yet. There was mm-hmm. downhill racing and dual slalom racing and maybe a jump contest every once in a while. The jump contest at Sea Otter. That was really the biggest thing going for catching air on a bike in a competitive yeah. form. And so I started doing that. I think my first year doing that was like, it was either 01 or 02 getting an invite to ride that thing. Mm-hmm. And then I'm bar to bar with like some of my heroes because I've been watching Evolution with Kurt Voorhees. I've been watching all the Chain Reaction videos with Aaron Chase. And now I'm next to these guys. And from one event to the next, they like, you know, the moment they remembered my name or something, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so yeah, my heroes went from the local kids around town that I would watch to then the people that I would watch in videos to then riding with these people. And now it's just crazy to like fast forward 20 years and be like, oh my God, like, or almost 20, not tw- not quite 20 years. You said 20 years at the beginning. And so now you've changed my perception. I'm like, yeah, it's been 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> Has it not been that long? <laughs> Probably like 19. So we're not exaggerating too much. Okay. But yeah, however many years later, looking back at how the sport has changed, how my relationship with the sport has changed. Some of my longtime friends are these people that I grew up idolizing in videos. So, so it's kind of cool. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, does it surprise you then to see how much reach free ride and slope style mountain biking has today, especially through events like Crankworks and Red Bull Rampage? Yeah, it blows me away. It's amazing. That's like, as soon as I got into it and fell in love with it, I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. Anyone who agrees is my friend and anybody who doesn't agree, let's, let's show them. Right. Let's show them why this is so amazing. And so 
for a long, long time, mountain biking isn't accepted into the action sports little cool guys club, right? Not in X Games and... It's not it's not even mentioned when you're talking about, you know, these sports that represent this lifestyle. And I feel like that's all changed. Now it's like more ubiquitous in all these other things. It's it's like, all right, skateboarding, of course, is always going to be amazing, is always going to be so popular and everything. But like in terms of just widespread embrace, not everybody skateboards, but pretty much everybody has a bike in their garage. And even if it's not, you know, the most badass mountain bike. 2010 model carbon whatever it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. you've got a place to ride it too unless you live like at the north pole or something and even at that you can have a fat pike right but no matter where you live you can go out and ride these things and if you got some woods and you got some trails then then even better but you can participate in this no matter what age what gender what demographic you come from where you live i think that's the best thing about it and i think i feel like finally people are realizing that and as a result, like, you know, I love all things mountain bike now. I'm not the same 12-year-old kid who was like, spandex, uh, <laughs> mountain biking, bar ends, uh. Like, I love all things mountain bike. And I feel like free ride, the thing that I hold dearest, is more, it's the line between all these other disciplines and free ride is more blurry now than ever because trail bikes are so capable. And, hmm. and yeah, every once in a while, I look back to when I first got into this and what the perception of the sport was and and how it was still not that mainstream and then to see now everybody from you know the guy who's you know on a shoestring budget but still enjoying a trail ride to the guy who's driving around bend oregon with the audi and the nine ten thousand dollar carbon bike on the back of the rack you know mm-hmm. i see that full spectrum of people enjoying it it makes me so happy yeah well it's cool too to see that you know free ride and slope style that's the that's kind of the thing that transcends mountain biking i mean people outside of the sport see that and they know it, you know, more so than XC or, or even downhill, you know, I mean, that's the stuff you see on internet clips and you see it on Red Bull TV. And I'm thinking too, that it inspires a lot of non mountain bikers to say, what is this sport? You know, how can I try it out? It's the shiny glittery fish lure. <laughs> right. This is a good way to put it. Slope style and rampage, you know, it's like, okay, maybe not everybody can relate to that in the sense that they might someday do it. Mm -hmm. There's a small percentage of people who aspire to doing that. But it's the shiny, glittery fish lure that attracts people to this mountain bike thing. And it might be enough to to lead them to nibble a little bit. And they might get hooked. Yeah, cool. So in a Q&A section on the Trek website, you were asked what would you be if you weren't a cyclist? And you answered, able to lift both arms above your head. So clearly you have a good sense of humor, but biking has obviously taken a toll on your body. So what what types of injuries have you had over the years and what's been sort of the long-term impact from that? For sure, man. It comes with a price. Like just mountain biking for fun maybe doesn't come with as uh, steep of a price, but the type of riding that I have done to get where I am is definitely the risk-taking type of riding. And so as a result, yes, I've had a lot of injuries. Probably the the ones that sound most impressive aren't even sometimes the ones that linger the longest. You know, like there's a rod in my leg and my femur. You know, I've had both shoulders. I've had surgery to keep them from dislocating because I've got a video on YouTube showing all the times that I've cut on camera when my shoulders have popped out. And then, you know, separated ACs, lacerated kidneys, a couple broken collarbones, Whoa. broken scapulas on both sides, you know, broken ribs here and there, four metatarsals, 
there's things that I'm forgetting too. You know, there's just so many, so many things, man. Like the thing, I guess the reason why I say the things that sound the most impressive aren't even the ones that linger on the most is my femur. I don't even ever think about that. That was insane. That was a, yeah. you know, a huge bone to break in your body. And now there's a piece of metal in there forever. Mm-hmm. But I don't think about that when I was lucky enough to not have complications, but, but nerves are the things that really linger with you. I, I had a string of neck injuries that caused me to lose majority of the strength in my left arm for for a long period of time and the doctors weren't sure if i'd ever get it back so you know the neck was just part of that like the challenges of of having limited mobility in my neck but it was the the peripheral nerve damage that really hung on for a long time and uh you feel that for a while but you feel that for a long time i should say you're always kind of dealing with that your spinal area kind of narrows uh stenosis of the of the area where those nerves are supposed to sit. So then they're easier to, to get impinged. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to sound like I know what I'm talking about here. Long story short, <laughs> lack of strength, uh, lack of mobility, and just nerve pain is, is gnarly. So that caused a lot of struggle for me for a few years. And uh, these days, things are feeling pretty good, man. I had shoulder surgery a year ago next month. And uh, that was my second surgery. So both of them are functioning fantastic now. And it's like, it's, it's great. And that's at the point of when I, when I was writing the answer to that question on the Trek website that you read, I was rehabbing my shoulder. So that was my <laughs> joking way of saying if I didn't. <laughs> yeah. So, so at this point I can raise both arms over my head. That's good. But realistically there's been a period of times where we're men just to go and ride your bike for a film shoot or something and look like you want to look, ride the way your brain want, you know, knows it can look. Mm-hmm. It's such a struggle. And, and you know, there's things like surgery that have made it better, and then there's other things that I'm doing to make it better and make myself feel a little younger than I should feel for the things I've been through. Not that I'm crazy old or anything, just 33. <laughs> but, yeah, I put my body through some stuff. Yeah. And so figuring out what works for your body to be able to ride the way your brain wants to ride has been key for me. So yeah, you recently partnered with the makers of Plus CBD Oil, which is a hemp-derived supplement. So when did you first start using CBD oil and how has that helped you physically? Yeah, I'm super lucky to have a line on that stuff because it's been a game changer for me. And I guess I first started trying it just in town here in Bend, some homemade stuff that people were passing around. And instead of trying Arnica, I would just try this CBD rub. And Arnica is what I would always kind of travel with just for topical, but I'd also be traveling with a lot of Advil, you know, a lot of ibuprofen, you know, whatever, over-the-counter anti-inflammatories, just to wake up in the morning, remedy the pains, and get on with it. And so once I, like, was kind of sold on the idea of CBD, I was using it, and then I was contacted by Plus CBD to kind of be an ambassador for them and spread the word. And their products are, you know, far more professional than the stuff I had tried before. And they have such a wide range of things that you can use for all different types of issues that you may be experiencing. And it's totally been a game changer. I'm no longer packing all the Advils that I did in my in my toiletry bag, in my backpack mm-hmm. to be able to to be able to, you know, get on with the shoot. I'm just using this stuff. And ever since I started out with them. I started out with them like right when I was getting back on the bike from shoulder surgery. So there's a lot of lingering pain and inflammation when you're dealing with that. And so I feel this surgery is like rehabbed quicker than my first one on the other side. So I guess that's a nice AB study, but it's, it's been great. And I'm lucky to have been put in touch with them from a friend who, uh, who was shooting videos for them. 
and I guess that's how things work. You put it out in the universe, and sometimes the universe answers back. But but it's nice to be lined up with them. It's great. Yeah, really cool. So you've also said that plus CBD oil has helped you with concentration as well, particularly when you're doing your commentary for like all day broadcasts and things like that. So was that like an unexpected side benefit or was it something that you were seeking as well? Yeah, I wasn't even really aware of like the ingestible forms of CBD Mm -hmm. and what sort of benefits you could expect from those. So when they sent me out a care package, I was just having my eyes on the on the topical stuff because it was replacing something that I was already using and then I wasn't using anything already for focus or anything but but with broadcasting it's like pretty intense sometimes a broadcast is four or five hours depending on the discipline and then sometimes for example at a crankworks event there's multiple broadcasts per day and then four or five days on end with broadcast so I would usually start out firing on all cylinders like it would be like as if this podcast ran three or four hours by the end I'd be like Jeff enough already buddy you know (laughs) but with a broadcast it's like well until the event's over maybe there's a wind hold maybe there's a rain delay you got to be on Mm -hmm. and in those scenarios I've got a director in my ear I've got my notes I've got what's happening on the screen in front of me and so a lot of these things to keep in line and stay focused for and I would have this fall off you know I would have a fall off at like hour four of a broadcast I'd have this fall off at like day three knowing that there's still two more days left just a fall off in focus and ability to stay on task and ability to like multitask the thoughts that I have in my head, balancing those with the thoughts that the director's giving me. Sometimes it's, it's prompts of what we're going to do in sequential order. Like, all right, next is this, next is that, next is that. So now you got three things <laughs> and uh, trying to keep them in order. So yeah. the thing that I really noticed since taking plus CBD, ingesting it, there's a bunch of different ways they have to do it. They've got capsules. They've got these little sprays, which are convenient to have in the booth. They've got droppers. But basically, the thing that I noticed was I was not running into that roadblock that I would experience at hour four or day three. I was able to keep on firing. And I'm not a scientist, so I'm not sure what the reasons are for that. You know, like that could be a podcast with somebody else who knows what they're talking about. (laughs) I just have used it and noticed like such a benefit. And for me, it's been great. I can only really chalk it up to one thing because that's the only change I've made. And so I I believe that's why I've been able to last it a little bit longer in the focus department. I I mentioned I have some uh, suspicions I may be afflicted with ADHD, you know, undiagnosed, but I have some suspicions and it's helped a lot. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And we should note too, I mean, a lot of people may not be familiar with CBD oil particularly, but it is not on the World Anti-Doping Agency uh, list of prohibited substances. So we're not talking about like drugs or anything that that's illegal or anything like that. Although I, I do think maybe the laws are not clear everywhere right now, but there are many places that, yeah, it's totally okay. So yeah, that's really interesting to hear how, how you've used it. Yeah. The way plus CBD does it too, is they're fully hemp derived as well. So there's not THC in it. So you're not worried about like, uh Oh, I took too much. (laughs) How am I going to do this broadcast? I'm high as a kite. You don't have to worry about that with plus CBD. I know there's other products out there that have THC in them, but then you're not able to travel with them. You got a whole other host of problems. And yeah, if you're an athlete or something, then you're dealing with with regulations 
and there's not the side effects that you would get with other things. You know, it's just talking about injuries and, and dealing with, you know, hey, I rolled my ankle on this shoot and I got three more days dealing with injuries, you know, all right, well, the shoot's important. I'm going to down so many ibuprofens. Yeah. But then you you know that you're you're not really being nice to your your organs. And in my case, not all my right kidney is even there anymore. So I, wow. I want to be nice to what's there. I've already put it through so much. Yeah. So CBD is is a nice alternative to that. Yeah, very cool. So I want to switch gears a little bit and ask you how your sense of humor has helped you in your career. Don't forget to pull in the clutch. <laughs> well, do you ever find it challenging to stay serious and focused in competition? Or does that sense of humor really help you when you're competing? Wait, what are we talking about? Again? <laughs> I, I feel like Life is too short to take everything incredibly serious. And, you know, you are the one living your life. So if you take yourself too seriously, then you now officially are taking life too serious. Mm -hmm. There's something funny in everything if you look hard enough, you know, and, and like life is hard because it's worth it. So not everything's funny, but if it's good, it's good. If it's bad, it's funny. So just look hard enough. You'll figure it out. And I kind of like to use that as my compass. And, you know, not that life is super simple. Like, uh, I got two kids. I got a wife who works. I travel a lot. I'm trying to keep sponsors happy. I'm trying to do the best I can with anything that I sign myself up for. Mm -hmm. So, yes, there are times where you go, oh, uh, I'm going to have to get serious right now. And when I was competing, <laughs> that was the case for sure. Like I started competing and it was all fun and games. Like, this is great. I love this sport. Woohoo. Let's try to win. Mm -hmm. And then the sport gets a little bit more serious. So the people you're competing with get a little bit more serious. You go, oh boy. All right. Well, I am battling for the win against people who are younger than me. They haven't had the same injuries as me. They're ready to go for it. I know that mindset. Like they're not thinking about the things that I'm thinking. And so in those times, it's hard to find something humorous in some situations. You know, some injuries that happened to me while I was competing were a direct result of me like going, all right, this is very serious right now. You better risk everything to get this result because mm. yeah, I was pretty competitive and yeah, there's things on the line, you know, nobody like directly putting pressure on you to be up there on the podium, but you know, everything, your well-being depends on it. And yeah, when I broke my femur, I remember specifically I'm going up and I'm going, all right, cool. I got a good plan. I got my my uh, safe run, and then I got my banger run. This is good. I'll go up for my first run, do it. Then if I need to, I'll do my banger run. And I remember hiking up the course at Crankworks, Colorado, watching Semina come down and drop his run and stomp it perfect. And I was like, well, we're skipping the safety run. <laughs> we're going straight for the jugular on this one. And in that point in time, my way of going straight for the jugular was finding the most consequential feature on the course and trying to front flip it. So I tried to front flip off the whale tail, which is like a, a lipped step down, and I came up just a tiny bit short, got bucked over the bar, sent a flat, snapped the femur in half. And then yeah. that was the first year that the FMB World Tour was in existence. And I was right up there battling with Brandon one and two for the points. Zink ended up winning the overall that year. And he didn't have many points at that time, but he was consistent. Brandon broke his collarbone the next event in Whistler. Oh, wow. So he was out of the run. And then, and then Zink goes and wins Whistler and wins Rampage. So he was the first person to win the world tour. But before I broke my leg, I was like, yeah, that's my goal for the year. That's what I want to do. And I was taking it very seriously. And that's a, uh, that's an, a uh, tactic and an approach that totally works. And there was a time for that. And, uh, and that was where I was at, at that point in time, but I haven't been competing for the past five years and it's been pretty cool, man. Like I still take risks and I still have a lot of goals and I'm still incredibly motivated to do things, but, uh, taking it outside of the competitive realm, I'm able to, you know, have a little bit more control over those variables 
and that has allowed me to stay a lot more healthy than the rate I was getting injured while I was competing was insane. And uh, yeah. I've been able to space out the injuries since since I stopped competing. <laughs> and uh, and I've been able to to laugh a whole lot more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Well, so after a big injury, though, like breaking your femur or, or whatever the more painful ones are, I mean, is it hard to get back on the bike? Is that still in your head thinking about that pain and like, what if it happens again? Or how do you like compartmentalize that? Not so much after the first couple big injuries, because you're like, you feel invincible, even though you just dealt with this thing. But you're like, you're like, that'll never happen again. Yeah, what are the odds of that? It took me this long to even break a single bone. Right. Of course, my time was up, but now it'll be another 10 years until I break another one. Yeah. That was where my head was at. But then they start hitting you back to back, and you start to really relook and reevaluate all the risks you're taking. And then being up at the start line against people who haven't experienced that, that, that was challenging for sure. Hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the head thing, it all comes back to how much you love what you're doing. And Yes, I've had a lot of injuries, and yes, I understand the consequences of what can happen, but I I still feel like I always get back to that spot where if I really truly believe in what I'm doing and I really truly believe that I'm prepared to do what I'm about to do, mm-hmm. I can still tap it, still tap back into that same feeling of like, it's go time, and I thrive off of that go time these days. Yeah. Instead of getting that from three, two, one, go, the webcast is on, the fans are cheering, go for it, it's like all right, I've prepared, I've built something, I've practiced for this, the light's nice, the cameras are there. I've probably paid a decent amount of money to get the camera there because media has changed a lot too. And Okay, now is go time. And different circumstances, but same feeling. Yeah, that's, that's cool. So I have to ask too, I mean, with all these injuries, you must have pretty good health insurance, right? How do you, how do you like oh, man. keep that going? And yeah, pretty expensive health insurance. <laughs> yeah. Good, good health insurance. Yeah. I mean, I, I know a lot of people, a lot of mountain bikers struggle with that. And yeah, I'm curious to know how pro athletes deal with it. Yeah. So I've always paid a lot for good health insurance because it only makes sense to do so. Mm-hmm. Everything's been cool, like high deductibles, of course. So you end up spending a lot of money out of your own pocket to, to bounce back from these things, but not 100% of it. The, the insurance companies always win at the end of the day, and they fight hard to, to not shell out the money. And I have fought very hard back to make them pay the money. Do they give you a hard time because of how your injuries occur? Do they say, oh, we're not covering that. You're doing stuff that's too risky. For sure. I, I was lucky enough when I was living in California, there was a plan that I that I had and it was like the name of the plan with the company was called Calculated Risk Taker. So it was perfect. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, <laughs> I'm like, you guys get me. So they were cool with what I did for a living and stuff like that. But even with that insurance plan, when I lacerated my kidney in Whistler during Crankworks, when you're in Canada, everything changes and uh, your insurance company doesn't like to pay foreign medical bills they 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 will like they they have to because there's nothing in writing with the plan that you've agreed to and that you pay for that says that they won't they're just not going to make it easy on you so i think it took me like 16 months to get this one bill Whoa. which was like twenty seven thousand dollars i'm like Ooh. it was it was twenty something thousand dollars and it took me about 16 months to get it sorted out and man 
the amount of hours spent on the phone, the amount of paperwork, the amount of back and forth, the amount of like <laughs> getting shuffled between people in different apartments and trying to understand and learn how an insurance company works, who you really need to talk to mm-hmm. when you've been on hold for 45 minutes and then the call gets dropped, how you get back to the person you were with. And then dealing with with claims, you know, uh, what do you call it? Collections people, because this bill hasn't been paid and you're trying to get your insurance to pay. Right. So I ended up having to pay the interest on the, what do you call it? The uh, collections agency's account yeah. to be able to hold hold it open so it didn't go further. And so, you know, I just had to eat all that interest. But man, finally I got it sorted. And, you know, they always told me that you'd get the interest reimbursed, but that didn't happen. I just went, you know what? I guess this is the cost of doing business. It's not like I didn't try. <laughs> and having to pay yeah. a few thousand dollars of that 27000 plus whatever, you know, the insurance didn't cover. It's like, all right, that's fine. But yeah, doing this for a living, you know, you, you want to get paid enough to where it supports itself. And then, you know, now I have, you know, a family and everything. And so you, for all these reasons, understanding what it's like to rehabilitate an injury, understanding what it's like to go back and forth with an insurance company to not go broke from an injury, all these things you go, all right, well, to do this, this is the goals. We want to like mutually benefit each other, me and my sponsors. That's why I like to work really closely with my sponsors Mm -hmm. and be valuable to them because, it's not easy to continue doing this for a living. And there's always people who are coming up to who want to do it for a living. So it's funny just talking to people in town. So you don't have a day job, huh? No <laughs> nine to five, huh? It's like, well, right. like right now I'm talking to you. I've been home for three days in the past two weeks. I went down to Fox Head down in Southern California mm-hmm. for an office visit, some shooting there for some new product launches, and then an event for them, the Fox US Open at Big Bear. Shot a video of my own to post on YouTube because I'm trying to do weekly videos. Three days at home, straight out to Trek to shoot product videos for them. I think we got about five of them in the bag. And then a video that'll come out in a year to promote their Trek CX Cup, which is a World Cup uh, cyclocross race. And then trying to peel off enough content from that on my own to post my own video to upkeep the weekly videos going. And then working with an editor to send him the footage to edit it into something that's congruent with the stuff I'm posting on my channel. And then each week making sure I'm, po- I'm filming something with a local shooter here that I'm trying to pay and keep happy to make sure that once those videos are posted, I got another thing for the next week. And so like, I hope people are still listening to the podcast and haven't uh, clicked out yet. Cause nobody <laughs> likes to listen to a professional mountain biker whining and I'm not whining. I'm just saying, Yes, I answer those questions. No, I don't have a day job. People go, oh, wow, that's killer. Must be nice. Well, you just hang out all the time, like watch the kids. And, you know, I go, I just go, yeah, it's great. <laughs> because nobody wants to hear somebody whine about how many things they have to do when everybody else has got things to do too, you know? They don't want to hear that. They want to, like, believe that all you do is fun and that's rad and sweet, you know? We'll post videos and show that because that's all people want. When they're sitting there and they're looking to watch a video. They got seven minutes of time to kill, maybe at the office, maybe when they got home from work. They want an escape. They want something that's fun to watch. It makes them want to get on their bike. And and I've kind of realized that that's where I fit in right now. I want to make the broadcast fun and entertaining mm-hmm. for these competitions that I love so much in this you know arena that I used to compete in. And then I want to make these videos every week that make people want to hop on their bike. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And I mean, it is, for me, it's very interesting to hear just all that goes into getting to that point. I mean, we see the video and we're like, wow, that's awesome. But there's just so much that goes into it to make that happen. And for you personally too, to get into that headspace and be like, 
ready to go and to, to perform and to like inspire people in that way. That's pretty crazy though, to think about. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's fun. And you know, like big film projects are completely different than the stuff I'm talking about with YouTube and product videos for sponsors and whatnot. Those, like you're saying, there's so much that goes into it behind the scenes and uh, the camera equipment these guys are using is so expensive. So sponsors who are supporting these films are kicking down so much to even make it possible. And then films these days are even tougher to get off the ground because there's so much daily content coming out. Mm -hmm. And uh, a part of three like feature films right now this year, one was with Darren Bearcloth in the Himalayas in a country called Bhutan. We did a seven-day expedition traveling by bike through the mountains, camping, checking out this amazing scenery and riding trails that have never been ridden on a bike before. That comes out October 7th. So we did that in the spring in April. Oh, cool. And then uh, Carson Storch is working on a movie that his sponsors have got behind. That's a summer release, and we're shooting it all in Oregon, and it's all the local pros that live here in Bend, Oregon. So a lot of uh, Pacific Northwest forest loam trails, a lot of like clear-cut, big, festile jumps, step-down, step-ups, drops, desert stuff that we have stashed out in the Oregon deserts. And then uh, TGR is working on a film that's going to come out next spring, and uh, and filming has started for that now too. And so in December, my brother and I are going to like hit the ground running with a really cool uh, desert freeride segment. He moved out into the desert, so all those films are in progress. And uh, and you know those take so long, but like you're saying, is there's so much that goes on on with those behind the scenes that you don't realize. And and then you know it's it's hard for them to matter as much as they used to when there was just one or two big films a year. But I really feel like it's still worth it. I feel like the feature films are still important. It's just nowadays you have to diversify. You can't just shoot the feature films and have that be enough to keep the sponsors happy. Yeah. Well, so while most people know you as an athlete, you also spend a fair amount of time building trails and sculpting new features to ride. Is trail building just part of the job in terms of needing to create bigger challenges for yourself? Or is it something you enjoy and appreciate sort of apart from riding? Oh, man. Yeah. Like, it really kind of goes back to the reason why I fell in love with mountain biking is, you know, those kids that I saw riding, they would be jumping at, at this lot that was the old post office jumps. And before it was fenced in, it was just uh, a road that led down to an elevated pile of dirt, and you're just carving in a kicker, seeing how far you could go building a landing there. And then and then you're building these jumps that you have no idea if they're going to work, and that's the fun behind it, is, is to be the guinea pig and have a goal <laughs> and go for it and make it work. And desert freeride is the thing that really takes us all back to our roots and to the reason why we fell in love with it is you're wandering the desert and you're looking for something that talks to you. And when you see it, you know it. And in a lot of cases, you're, you build this thing and it's so much labor to get something ready to ride. And the whole time you're wondering if you bit off more than you can chew. Those are the challenges that, that make me feel the same way about free ride mountain biking as I did when I started. And, and those are what, that's what we do for the, for the big films. And that's what I'll be doing with my brother for the TGR film is going out into this remote zone that's a little bit further off the beaten path. You need UTVs to get to it. We'll be camping out there. But it's all this stuff in Virgin Utah that nobody has ridden before, like, believe it or not. Like, yeah. people go and ride the same stuff out there, and the terrain is so fruitful. You can be in a similar zone to where you've been before, come out there with an open mind or somebody else with a different perspective and find new things and new challenges. And, you know, we found an area where people haven't cruised around yet. So, We'll be able to really come at this with all the experience we've built in the, our entire lives riding bikes and put together an insane film segment that will kind of 
I won't want to give too much away, but but the the director Jeremy Grant, he's behind. He was the director for a lot of the free ride entertainment films that Derek Westerland uh, made. All, everything that Derek Westerland's ever done has been amazing, and and he's always worked side by side with Jeremy Grant. So New World Disorder, Where the Trail Ends, North of Nightfall, all that stuff. So Jeremy's directing the TGR film, and he's got a really cool treatment set out. And so it's exactly the thing that I want to do for a feature film, the type of segment I want to do. Go out into the desert with my brother, do the type of riding that we both love the most, and the type of riding that requires you to tap into all your years on a bike to, to be able to accomplish these goals that you find. And yeah, bringing it back to the to the point, as you were talking about building, and yeah, sometimes you spend so much time building. It's a story that goes along with Rampage a lot. You spend so much time building, wrecking your body. Then it's time to hop on the bike, wake up at sunrise, and go do the hardest thing you've ever done. And uh, yeah, that's another place where plus CBD really comes into play as well is, is making the day possible, waking up in the morning, using some rub and some some drops and and getting psyched. Yeah. Well, it seems like you could spend a lot more time just building a feature than actually writing it. I mean, is that the case? And and if so, I mean, you have to enjoy the building too, right? To, to actually put in that amount of time. You do because you're so excited about what it could be. And so you're, it's like, it's like an art form. And my brother's videos really showcase that art form. He did a video called Hand Built where he went back, he went to this zone that he'd been building in for years and years. He built all this stuff himself and you could just look at it and not shoot a video and it's it's a work of art. These are sculptures out in the forest. Yeah. So he's going to continue doing that now that he lives in Utah and he's got the best canvas ever for his art. But that's the truth is you love the process of building. You're excited to ride it. And then once you get the shot and the light gets blown out, you're like, wait, that's it? <laughs> like I only hit it a few times and we got the trick. And so I can't I can't deal with that. I, I revisit my features year after year. Yeah. And I always... And thinking about them and, and then I'll come up with another idea of a different trick to do on an old feature. And and a lot of times that's part of the fun as well is build a feature, do something that you didn't think you could do on it and then daydream and then think of something even harder and then come back and keep revisiting. Finding new things is just as exciting as coming back to an old feature with a new mindset and a new idea. Yeah, that's really cool. Really inspiring. So speaking of inspiration, who are some of the like up and coming athletes these days that sort of remind you of yourself when you were starting out? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I really, I really love watching the kids ride who aren't solely focusing on slope style, just thinking FMB, 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 squeeze another bar spin in, you know, like mm -hmm. I get it. It's cool. Like I, <laughs> I came up in a time where I wish that there was something so structured to focus in on, but yeah. like I'm a real big fan of the kids who are like mountain bike first, you know, cause slope style has turned into a thing that's very similar to BMX dirt. BMX dirt has died off. And so the same type of person who would have been a BMX dirt up and comer is now a slope style up and comer. And that's rad. I grew up idolizing BMX dirt and trying to apply what I was inspired by from that realm and apply it into mountain biking, which at the time slope style was kind of different, but the kids that really inspire me now and have it, it get me want to ride and, and get me stoked on the future of what free ride mountain biking has to offer is kids like Jackson Riddle. He's insane. He's the future of the sport. There's also a Canadian kid. His name, he's been around for a few years, but I've always been a really big fan of his ride. His name is Caleb Holonko. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they're riding longer travel bikes. They're interpreting terrain. They ride trail. They ride downhill. They build. 
And I think those are the things that I love most about our sport. And when I see young kids who are carrying the torch for that, it makes me stoked. Like Marzocchi Proving Grounds was a killer competition that Todd Barber put on yeah. to serve as a qualifying event for Rampage. And uh, it brought out a lot of these riders that you go, yeah, man, this type of riding is still alive and well. We love Rampage. We love slope style, But there's that magic middle ground that hasn't received a lot of attention, especially in the competitive realm. And so Proving Grounds totally filled that void. And it was fun to watch that. And you know what? Some of the best slope style riders in the world came out and embraced that and had a blast and rode killer. Like Nikolai Rogatkin was out there slaying it like the fact that he loves that type of riding too you go yeah mm-hmm. when we get more of these types of events and get the best slope style riders in the world like emilio hansen he was out there absolutely slaying it pretty much learning what it's like to to hit these features on a downhill bike and what it's like to trick a downhill bike while doing it he learns yeah. so fast <laughs> and to see how good of a run both of those guys put down in a type of a event format that might look similar to slope style to some people who weren't there but there's a whole host of other challenges, and I could see that these guys really like that, and they want to sink their teeth into it. And it, it makes me excited about the future, too, because you got guys like Brandon Semenuk, Brett Reeder, Thomas Janon, who have parlayed their slope-style skills in, into rampage skills. And now they're like, you know, like Brett has won it, Brandon's won it twice, Janon is always in the top spots on the leaderboard, and they're slope-style guys. And, and that's how they started. But now they're just looked at as well-rounded free-ride mountain bikers. And that's what's up. And that's what I see in, in a handful of these youngsters coming up. And, it's, and it is, it's just great to see. Yeah, that's cool. Well, you're only 33, but you must be thinking about your legacy. So what do you, what do you hope that will be? Yeah, I know. You know, I don't really think about legacy too much. I'm like too busy thinking about like <laughs> today and tomorrow of doing things rather than what the story will be when I'm done doing it. Because I do feel like I still have so much more to do and, and, and so many more ideas to do and involved with so many of these films. And also, I think if you think about your legacy too much, you're driven heavily by by that that voice in the back of your head we, we know as ego. Yeah, (laughs) And so to answer the question, I'll first say that, but to answer the question, I just want to be looked at as somebody who did this for the right reasons. You know, I'm doing it because I love this sport and I want more people to, to love it if, if they're predisposed to loving it. And I want more people riding mountain bikes. I want mountain biking to grow, you know, not just because from an industry standpoint, it's just because this is the thing that I believe so much in. And I feel like it enriches everybody's life who part- participates in it. And I feel like everybody, you know, people who haven't found it, who it might change their life, you know. So anything that we can all do to help spread the word, that's our job. Yeah, very cool. Well, great. This has been awesome talking to you, Cam, and hearing about your career and sort of the things you're working on in the future. Best way to keep up with Cam is to follow him on Instagram at Cam McCall and also check him out on YouTube where he's also Cam McCall. And on his YouTube channel, he's got weekly videos uh, and lots of great content. So thanks for joining us, Cam. Thanks so much, Jeff. It's been rad. Well, that's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week.